Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. That you are today on this beautiful day. And today we're going to talk about food foraging, or Yule Gibbons would be proud. So Where I, do you come up I with know, these Yule Gibbons. Remember Stalking the Wild Asparagus? I have that book. I have that book. Grape Yule Nuts Gibbons. and Johnny Carson. We're aging ourselves here. Anyway, we, we're no, joined. No, we're not. It, it, they had it at the library, but somebody stole it. So I got it for 50 cents at the library Oh, sale. yeah. That's what you're claiming. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't steal it. I'm not going to hell over a book. <laughs> okay. So anyway, today we're joined by Laurel Hobden, if she's still here after all of that nonsense. And, and and Laurel is a um, with Laurel's Blends, uh, and she is a forager, artist, lover of plants, all around good person. So, and so La- welcome. Laurel Bl- Laurel's Blends is her and is her business. Her business, yes. She's quite good at it too. Okay, Laurel. All right, Laurel, welcome. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Thank you, Jay. Okie dokie. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Annie and you primarily. And as I said, I'm just going to throw in some snide comments because I know nothing about plants, nothing about health, nothing about preparing food. Um, (laughs) That's close. I can eat food. That's about it. So so take it away. All right. Everything's a weed to Jay. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a good thing on this talk. Anyway, so Laurel, um, I think it'd be great if you told us a little bit about your story and how you uh, decided to create Laurel's Blends. Sure. Um, When I was in my late 20s, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I went ahead and did the surgery, but I um, had really strong convictions against chemotherapy. And um, I had pushed the doctor for the pathologist report. And I only had a one in four chance of reoccurrence of my cancer. And in talking to the oncologist, if I did chemotherapy, I only had a I had a one in five chance of of reoccurrence. So I thought for a 5% differential, I'm not going to put myself through chemotherapy. So um, I got this book by Santillo Humbart called uh, Natural Healing with Herbs. And and I decided to go ahead and do um, burdock root tincture. So I took burdock root tincture for three months daily and I'm here uh, 30 years later, you know, cancer-free, no reoccurrence, and that got me on the herbal path, and, uh, and I've been on it ever since. I love plants, and I love working with them, and um, they've got some powerful attributes to share. What, what are some of the other things you did? Because this has been a lifelong uh, process of um, reaching out to have health for yourself, and, and you've been really healthy, but, but there are other things that you've done, not just the burdock uh, tincture. Right. What kinds of um, things do you do as a routine that, that are beneficial you feel to maintaining that, uh, that health that you have? Well, uh, well, first and foremost, um, you know, I, uh, I used to, like, when I was a kid, I was the family baker making birthday cakes and all that kind of thing. And then when I um, became a college student, I became a vegetarian and I started cooking everything from fresh. Um, I'm no longer vegetarian, but I still do co- cook everything from fresh. Um, and I think that's one reason I um, have such good health. And also I've been swimming laps for 40 years. So that really helps. Now, also, um, I have a daughter. She is now an adult and um, she is autistic. And I have used a variety of essential oils 
and and herbs to help her through her daily life. And that has been helpful to me and to her. And um, and also I've shared various um, things with friends. I like to like make up different formulas for friends in reference to what's going on with them. And, um, and also I just love playing with food. I'm just uh, one of those kind of people who loves to be in the kitchen experimenting. And so I have done all sorts of things, um, you know, in the kitchen as far as like fermenting and uh, making, you know, kimchi and kvass and a variety of other things. And, and also, um, I like to figure out like how many nutrients are in a food or like this food's good for your liver. Like um, when I visited China, often when you a dish was brought out, they would say, oh, this dish is really good for your yin energy or this is good for your spleen or your lungs. And I thought, why don't I don't know? Why don't I don't know those things about my food? Um, now. And um, I took an herbal class when I was living in the D.C. area. And um, and she had us working with this book by Paul Pitchford called Healing with Whole Foods. And if you look in that book, it tells you like what all the good things that beets are good for and cabbage. And so, um, so I mean, I've done a variety of juicing things. I mean, as a, as a cancer survivor, I wanted to maintain my health. And so um, I tend to do um, juicing fasts, and um, and I incorporate weeds from my yard in my food, and because they just have such great vibrancy. And so I have I've worked with food on a lot of different levels because um, I like to explore. Okay, well let me let me ask you, Laurel. For those of us who are completely, um, you know, disconnected from from the world, what is a juicing fast? Um, you say a juicing fast, like like I should know what that is. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, well, a juicing fast is basically um, you're, you're making fresh juices from fruits and vegetables, and you are drinking them, and that is basically your diet for uh, one, one to two weeks, depending on what you're planning on cleansing. And you can also, like, you can, different juices are good for different parts of your body, like the beets are really great for your liver, and um, so, uh, so that's what I would do. I would do, like, um, depending on what kind of fast I was doing, like there's intestinal fast, there's like liver fast, um, you know, these various cleanses. And so I would um, tailor the juicing I was doing in reference to those things. And also um, in these, like I, I do, I love working this one book. Um, it's called um, Healing with Juices. Um, and, and it gives you protocols for doing these various fasts. And I've worked with that. And, um, and one of the things I like to do every spring is for at least a month, I take uh, dandelion root tincture. Um, and it's, no, it's well known as a, as a liver tonic. And, um, and thus being that, it, um, it supports your liver and running optimally. And your liver has over 500 functions, one of them being filtering six cups of blood a minute. Plus also dandelion root tincture ups my digestive juices, so I'm getting more nutrients out of my food. And um, so I consider it a longevity medicinal herb because it has these um, great qualities. So that I do that every spring as part of my uh, anti-cancer routine. I remember one time I heard you say in a talk, that uh, in the fall or in the summer, you should uh, mark your hardiest, biggest, most robust dandelions so you could dig up the root. Yeah, and, my grandmother's. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's right. So, so what would you be exposed to or 
feel that would prompt you to think that you needed to have a week-long juice fast? Um, well, unfortunately, just breathing the air, <laughs> there's toxins in the air. I mean, um, you know, burning coal puts mercury in the air. And so even if you're just breathing the air, you know, even if you're living a very healthy life by drinking filtered water and eating organic food, um, it's, it is good to cleanse your system. And a lot of people, I mean, like here in the USA, we have a very refined diet generally. And, um, and that stuff can build up on on the walls of your intestines. And, um, and so it, it, it makes it so you're not absorbing your nutrients as well as you could. And plus there could be some putrefaction. So it's good to kind of like move that stuff through. And the more uh, fiber and stuff you're eating, the more you're kind of like roto-rootering your, um, your, your intestines. So you don't um, get a buildup and also you don't, you're not like absorbing food. I mean, people can have like People are gonna have like a you know like a, a, a very thick coating on their intestinal walls that um, that blocks their absorption and also um, some of their absorption and also um, you know um, it's um, it's going bad in there so um, so it's good not to uh, be exposed to that or minimize that. I know one time I went to see this guy I was like so sick and I just could hardly go and it wasn't the flu it was my body being in toxic overload and um, and he showed me all the chemicals that were in my bowel and I was thinking back when I was in uh, in high school working making copies so I had a lot of toner copy toner in my bowel I was like oh my god um, anyway he helped me a lot but it wasn't from Rotorootering. I don't I think. Kept but... telling you, don't eat the toner. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the thing is, is the, the thing is, is, there's there's a, a, there's chemicals in a lot of things. We are exposed to a lot more chemicals um, than um, than our forefathers were. I mean, uh, how many people know that there is um, fire retardant in breast milk because it's um, you absorb things from your clothes. Yeah. Well, so, I, I heard. Yeah, I heard there. Micro, threads, yeah, plastic micro threads everywhere. Well, getting off of bowels here for a second. Well, um, wait before we do that. <laughs> I just want to uh, explain the word refined because it's not refined; it's refined. And you're by that. I think I think you mean like things like white sugar, white flour, um, that that type of foods. These are the base of our diet in this culture, right? That's right. Yes, yes. Um, the thing is, is um, when you have refined foods, um, a lot of the nutrients are stripped away. I mean, they do enrich flour, but it's not like eating whole wheat flour or something like that, which hasn't had its nutrients taken away. And also the fiber, um, it also supports health in your system too. Okay. Well, I was going to get you off onto the foraging part because I kind of... Uh introduce that. So, so when, when you're talking, you've already mentioned about dandelions, what, what other things that commonly people might run across, maybe not even realizing that they're, they're edible and not only edible, but, but good for you. Well, well maybe violets. we should talk about what foraging is first. Yeah. Okay. Wander around. <laughs> no, Go not for it. exactly. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Wander around, um, chewing on things, park yeah. benches. See somebody's like yard, and you go, "Man, you have the best weeds," and just start picking them. You're going to get shot. Yeah, and just be careful when you go to your neighbors. Don't say, "Hey, you got any weed?" So, um, 
that could that could get you into a whole different world of foraging. What kind of weeds so. do you have? All right, go for it. Um, yeah, well, there are lots of things that I like to forage in my yard. I'm super excited. My uh, my red bud is about ready to bloom, and I will be eating the uh, I'll be eating the flowers off my red bud, and. Um, Oh, uh, so one thing that I think is great to get into your diet um, are violet leaves. Um, and I have this book that I absolutely love by Susan Weed. It's called Healing Wise, and it, um, it has seven chapters. Each chapter is devoted to a quote-unquote weed, and it tells like its nutrient qualities, its medicinal qualities, and gives you recipes. And one of the, um, one of the plants that she discusses in this book are violets. Well, violets um, in the past have been used to for uh, breast cancer as a specific, and um, so one of the things I like to do uh, in the summertime is peruse my yard and see what's what's growing that um, that is edible and gather those and make myself a drink. So um, so I might be gra- um, gathering purslane, uh, violet, uh, wood sorrel, uh, violet leaves. Um, let's see, uh, lamb's quarters, uh, wild grape leaves. Um, so I just get a handful of those things. I put them in my blender with, um, with some fruit, some water, maybe some bee pollen, start off minimally at first. And, and I blend that all together with some sunflower or pumpkin seeds, and that's a green smoothie. Um, and I'm getting lots and lots of chlorophyll. And by incorporating these fresh green plants into my body, um, uh, Paul Pitchford, who wrote Healing with Whole Foods, which is like a 700-page-plus tome of, uh, of awareness about food, um, you're getting this um, chlorophyll, and chlorophyll um, is it's detoxing, it's anti-inflammatory, and it renews and builds your blood. And um, one thing that many people don't know, uh, probably don't know about chlorophyll, <clears throat> is that it, that it almost um, is molecularly similar. It is molecularly similar to blood. The only difference is that the central molecule in in um, chlorophyll is magnesium and the central molecule in blood is iron. So so that's the only differential. So the thing is, is if you're eating your chlorophyll, it makes sense that it would be renewing your blood. And so the things I say is uh, eat your weeds and chocolate because uh, chocolate has your iron. And then if you're getting your chlorophyll, you know, then you are rebuilding your body and your, your blood is what feeds your body. You know, I mean, good circulation and you want to have nutrients in your blood to feed your body. I mean, that's why being sedentary is, um, is so uh, bad for your body because you're not getting that blood deep into your tissues through movement. And, um, and you certainly want to feed your body. I mean, that's really critical for health is eating health, you know, eating healthy. Okay. Well, Laura, let me interrupt you here for just a second to uh, let people know that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. Reminding you, it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. Thank God. Thank God. So we're, we're joined today by Laurel Hobden, all-around good guy and uh, feeder, feeder <laughs> of blood. <laughs> feeder of blood. Um, she got your attention when she said eat chocolate. <laughs> yeah, eat chocolate. It was, it was reminding, okay, well, I, I'm good about one out of those two things. So One um, out of, <laughs> yeah, one. 
One well, let me two. let me just say that it's really early spring right now, so there's a lot of food, and in fact, violets are starting to bloom, which is unbelievable. Um, but there's a lot of wild lettuce and even lemon balm, which makes lovely tea. There are a lot of uh, a lot of really great plants out there, and I thought it would be fun if we talked about um, what are some things that some ways that you might make salad, like somebody may think, well, the green smoothie doesn't sound so great, but um, I know this weekend we uh, picked a lot of greens out of the high tunnel, but then we went around and gathered up uh, dead nettle, purple dead nettle and, um, and some wild lettuce and lots and lots of uh, wild garlic and, and chives uh, to add to our salad mix. So I was thinking it might be good if we, talked a little bit about, you know, what you think would make a good salad in the summertime or now. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, um, well, right now, something that is about ready to bloom in the Midwest is the red bud. And um, uh, these flowers, are, you know, you can just taste the high vitamin C of them. And um, they're nice sprinkled over the top as kind of like a croutron, uh, you know, like um, a crouton or something like that. It's not that they're crunchy, but they are very flavorful. But um, but there's lots of things you can gather in your yard. I mean, dandelion uh, leaves and the cleavers and purslane. I mean, purslane apparently is very high in the omega-3s. So certainly a good thing to get into your diet. Um, and I like to use um, the wild grape leaves and chickweed. Chickweed is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's just, um, it's, it just has this light salty taste um, and it has lots of, um, it has lots of benefits for your body. I mean, certainly check out Susan Weed's book, um, uh, Healing Wise. And um, let's well, see. A lot what of leaves oh. don't taste great after they get to be a certain size. Um, so right. They are better in the spring when they're, when they're young. The other thing I'll say about, uh, red bud is, uh, um, that you'd want to be really careful right now with red bud, uh, not to pick too many of the blooms. Um, they do set seed pods like, uh, pea pods that people buy to saute and you can use them the same way in stir fry, but, um, they're, they're being really, uh, bombarded by climate change and they're not producing oh. as many buds and actually there's a study that's uh, gathered a lot of us in and asked us to uh, do some measuring and observation on the red buds that we have and we do have quite a few here at Blue Rock Station um, but they are delicious just keep in mind you should leave some buds maybe oh, for yes. the well, pods to eat but also also just because you want to have some seed we may need it Certainly. Yeah. Well, whenever foraging, it's it, you shouldn't take more than 10% of what is available just to, to assure that there will continue to be availability, that it still be growing and be healthful. Uh -huh. Are there other rules around foraging? Well, certainly. You want to have 100% identification. You certainly want to know exactly what you're eating because uh, there are some poisonous lookalikes. So, um, so um, you know, uh, many foraging books, they tell you um, exactly how to identify to make sure that the plant is what you are looking for. And um, you certainly want to be solid about that. You don't want to eat like... Um, 
like uh, Queen Anne's lace looks very similar to um, water hemlock, which is poisonous. So you certainly want to make sure you're not getting water hemlock when you are looking for Queen Anne's lace, which is sometimes referred to as a, as a wild carrot. You know, one time, a uh, long time ago, uh, we one of our interns wanted to make um, stinging nettle soup because he was going back to work in a restaurant and they were going to have that as a recipe. And so we went out and gathered what we thought was the stinging nettle and, um, and we made some soup and he took a big spoonful of it and he, he turned green, I swear. And he goes here, try it. And I said, well, listen, first of all, when you try something, you don't take a big bite, you take a little bite. And it turned out it was motherwort and boy, did it taste Oh my bad. gosh. Oh yeah. Motherwort really is bad. really bitter. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it would, if you weren't sick and you needed to be, or you wanted to be sick, it would, <laughs> it would be the, it'd be the cure. Well, uh, Laurel, before we run out of time, I wanted to touch on some of the uh, medicinal aspects, but I also wanted to touch because we'd had some conversations before how the medical model establishment can, can sort of be pretty harsh on folks who claim that, that plants have actual medicinal values you know it, it's it's strange where we hear these things like thinking of taking a walk ask your doctor well it's like thinking of eating something you know you don't bet, ask your doctor yeah don't ask your doctor they know nothing about this <laughs> no, stuff they get like on average but, one one semester of uh, one class one semester on right. nutrition but i know you've got to when you're talking about these things are good for you they're healthy and all that you got to kind of tiptoe around the whole the word the whole medicinal legal disclaimer. So, so how, how, what's your reaction to that? Or are you going to just remain silent so you don't hear from the lawyers? <laughs> um, no, I think it's um, good to speak from personal experience and also cite um, other um, like authors of, uh, of books and uh, the research that's out there presently and uh, take it from that level. Yeah. Cause unfortunately, um, People who are uh, working um, with medicinal herbs are having to um, put up with the pressure of the government in not um, in not um, being uh, you know talking about the medicinal qualities of plants. Like um, one of our recent um, uh, local herbalists um, is no longer publishing articles uh, because. Um, she got a letter from the FDA uh, in reference to her sharing some information um, about dealing with um, the pandemic, which is unfortunate because that is uh, shutting down a good resource that could be helpful to many. Well, one of the one of the challenges too is that first of all, there are hypocrites in that. Well, many ways probably, but there are many major medications that people use that have these long names, but within them are medicinal plants. Like aspirin. You know? Yeah. Well, they've added stuff to it, but it's nothing more uh, than willow bark juice that's been dried. Well, unfortunately, what they do is they find um, what the um, what they consider the active ingredient, and then they concentrate it, or they might create it chemically, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to getting it from the source. And generally, um, when you use a plant in its full um, you know, it's, it's the whole part of the plant, then it buffers those kind of things. And, um, and, and that kind of thing is not generally not taken into consideration, you know, in the Western medical right. approach. Right. 
Well, so um, in, in terms of medicinals, one of the things that I have thought for many years is funny is, you know, eucalyptus is a very powerful, important plant. And, uh, and so I think uh, at our house, we've come full circle because we were kids and we were totally icked out by Vicks Vapor Rub, which is petroleum jelly, which probably is not a great thing, but uh, with uh, eucalyptus in it. And, you know, we used to have to wear that when we got sick and have it rubbed on our chest and stuff. And Or on and, the vaporizer. Yeah. And, and really, that was... Our moms didn't know why that worked, but today we know, you know, eucalyptus is just a really powerful uh, plant for helping with congestion and, you know, all the things that go along with, with being really sick. So I thought maybe we could talk about some plants um, that you, that you like in particular, or if you want to mention something and uh, I don't have any problem talking about it either, uh, since I'm not, I'm not in business of, um, of, of blending herbs, but I do spend a lot of time with people, uh, especially with our interns when they first come, you know, they're almost always sick, particularly with um, like acne. And, uh, and so we start out with a really high dose of um, uh, acidophilus, which you can get uh, acidophilus by eating plain yogurt, but it's not, it's not powerful enough. And within a week, they're in shock at how much better their skin is and, and actually how much better they feel. So things like That's that, wonderful. You know, acidophilus right. is a bacteria, it's not a plant, but still it's, it's an example of how you correct one little thing instead of pouring more drugs into it. Right. Well, uh, one thing in particular that I always have in my refrigerator is garlic-infused organic olive oil. And I personally use that for earaches and toothaches. I was uh, chasing my son around the house. He loved it. He was little. And, um, and I could feel my heartbeat in my tooth. My, my toothache was so bad. And so that night before I went to bed, I took a cotton ball and I put some of my garlic oil on that. And I put it between my molars in the back where that was going on. And the next day I could take those molars and I can grind them. And there was no pain whatsoever. And when I saw the, the dentist later that day, she said, well, if that happens again, we're talking root canal. And I wish I had kept up with the garlic oil because about three years later, I did end up having a root canal with that tooth. And so I always have uh, garlic oil, you know, in my refrigerator to help me out with that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and one thing I found helpful for me um, was when I had the flu and you had the aches and pains of flu, just one drop of peppermint essential oil under the tongue, and you might want to have somebody to chase it because it's very strong, but that takes away the aches and pains of, um, of the flu. And uh, when I had the flu um, several years back, um, I would take a drop as soon as the, the aches and pains returned. And after doing that for 48 hours, um, the flu was all gone. And my partner of the time had that flu for a week where I was over it in 48 hours. And I think that peppermint helped out there. Yeah. You know, also well, I do grow. Great. Yeah. yeah I, I also do goats too. You know, it's, this isn't just humans. We use peppermint with goats. We, the garlic oil we keep in the, in the milk room. So we, when we need it for any number of things with, with goats. And it's always great because, you know, it's something you could take for yourself. So you're not pushing anything onto them. That's not natural. 
Okay, well, Laurel, I'm going to have to draw this conversation to a close. So um, you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our guest, Laurel Hobden. Well, thank you, Laurel. And we want to thank, thank you. our Emmy Award-winning, always eating and foraging Adam Rich, <laughs> uh, our producer. And we want to thank, thank you, you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... You should go to Laurel's workshop. She's having one in May. Is that all she said? <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> all right. Okay. Till next time. Bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blurockstation.com. Yeah.